0: It's a race against the clock. They've got 10 days to overhaul the healthcare system where everybody lives.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's where we are now.
2: Well, I don't know why I came here tonight.
1: That's one reason.
2: I got the feeling that something right. Oh, I'm too scared in case I fall off
1: my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs.
3: To the
1: From Pacifica middle with Radio with in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM, FM in LA, in Oregon on 91.7 KYAQ on the Central Coast, 106.7 KSO in Cottage Grove, In Lancaster, Pennsylvania, on 92.9 WLRI, in Maui, Hawaii, on 88.5 KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio, on 94.1 WGRN, in Palinville, New York, on 102.9 WLPP, In Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR, on New Orleans, WHIV 102.3, Washington, D.C.'s 105.5 FM, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950, KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Deprogrammed Radio, Detour Talk, Radio Sputnik, and many other fine affiliates across this nation, across this globe. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow says me I hope you agree. From Bradblog.com, you probably don't. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, It is greatly appreciated. Coming up, the uh, Republicans are in, mm, let's say, an absolute panic right now to pass a repeal and replace bill for the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare before the Senate rules... Uh, change uh, before they will require 60 votes to overcome a filibuster in order to do so. Right now it only requires 50 votes under the so-called reconciliation rules in the U.S. Senate. Too difficult to explain, but it means that if they can come up with 50 votes right now, they can kill Obamacare once and for all. But the, uh, the GOP is having a hell of a time coming up with those 50 votes out of their 52-person caucus in the Senate to get this all done. And in order to get it all done, the, uh, the lead Republican sponsors of the, uh, of the bill, the so-called Graham-Cassidy-Heller-Johnson bill, um, Senator, Senator uh, Lindsey Graham of South Carolina, Bill Cassidy of Louisiana, who is a doctor, by the way, they are making a whole bunch of arguments about fairness, as a way essentially to mask the fact that they are taking money from so-called blue states in order to buy off so-called red states uh, with this new bill, uh, basically restructuring one sixth of the uh, nation's economy in the bargain. But the argument that they're uh, that they're making here for why it needs to be done as my guest coming up today will explain, is the exact opposite of the argument that Republicans usually make when it comes to rewarding those who, you know, work hard to get ahead and not punishing those um, uh, who do so. Uh, David Dayan will be here shortly to explain all of that hypocrisy. Also... If time allows, Desi Doyen will be here with the latest Green News report. How if are you doing? Allows. If there's time so allows,
3: there's so much today. <laughs> there really
1: is. Uh, on the, uh, But we've got, uh, if we can get to it, the catastrophic Hurricane Maria, the catastrophic earthquake in Mexico, and, uh, and some of the world response to Donald Trump's uh, comments this week at the U.N., or I should say his lack of comments when it comes to climate change and the Paris Climate Accord. Uh, So that's all straight ahead. In the meantime, today, uh, President Donald Trump added economic action to his fiery military threats against North Korea on, on Thursday, authorizing even newer, stiffer, newer sanctions in response to Koreans' nuclear weapons advances. He said that China, in this case, was imposing major banking sanctions, too. But there was apparently no confirmation from the North's most important trading partner. Does do you have those comments from the president today?
2: Today I'm announcing a new executive order I just signed that significantly expands our authorities to target individuals, companies, financial institutions that finance and facilitate trade with North Korea. Our new executive order will cut off sources of revenue that fund North Korea's efforts to develop the deadliest weapons known to humankind. The order enhances the Treasury Department's authorities to target any individual or entity that conducts significant trade in goods, services, or technology with North Korea. And I'm very proud to tell you that as you may have just heard moments ago, China, their central bank, has told their other banks, that's a massive banking system, to immediately stop doing business with North Korea.
1: Well, we hadn't heard uh, minutes ago about China uh, doing what the uh, what the president had just claimed, there is uh, as we go to air here no confirmation uh, from China that they are participating in this. He, uh, you heard uh, Trump praising China for instructing its banks to cut off businesses uh, business with uh, Pyongyang. But AP reports that neither the Chinese nor Trump officials, other than Trump himself, were ready to say that this is actually happening. Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin said he had spoken at length on Thursday with the head of China's central bank, but he said he was not going to have comment on confidential discussions. So
3: what's going on
1: don't know now wow. we had hoped to uh, speak actually today with uh, with an expert on the region uh, on North Korea but uh, thanks to Desi Doyen's failure to stop extreme weather across the globe <laughs> uh, our, our our planned guest today uh, lost all his power in uh, in Ohio he's electrical
3: not, power electrical I mean? power yes.
1: correct um, and so he's not able to join us. Uh, happy that David Dayan is going to jump in instead, but I, I will look forward to talking because uh, there's a lot of people who are very critical about these sanctions that Donald Trump keeps continuing to pile on North Korea, particularly critical because, uh, A, it, questions of whether it will actually lead to the denuclearization of North Korea, as he claims, and B, the number of people, the number of, in this case, North Koreans who will be, who are being directly harmed by these sanctions, you know, in the bargain, in in trying to uh, reach an end with North Korea, that it's not altogether clear how these sanctions would actually get us towards that end. So we will talk about that in the days ahead. Uh, but that was just one of the bizarre points coming out of Donald Trump and his. Um, His comments at the uh, at the U.N. General Assembly this week, Uh, he's still in New York where he made those comments you just heard. Uh, So he had promised, of course, to, uh, well, threatened in any event to completely destroy North Korea. That one got a lot of attention as well. His comments about Iran. Uh, Donald Trump has determined how he wants to approach the Iran nuclear deal, says Donald Trump. He has called that uh, that deal the worst agreement that has ever been negotiated by the U.S., though he is somewhat prone to uh, overstatements. Uh, but he has not even told his top national security advisors what that decision actually is. Apparently, he's not telling anyone, even his top cabinet officials,
3: have, oh, like the Secretary of yeah, State? Yeah, I
1: have no idea. Secretary yeah. of State Rex Tillerson, according to AP, said that Trump had not informed him or others in the administration about whatever this decision is. Uh, and uh, as well, Trump had refused to share it with the British Prime Minister, Theresa May, when she had asked him about it on Wednesday. My guess, frankly, is he doesn't actually have a decision, or if so, it's one that he can't figure out how to actually use. He you know, would love to kill this deal. But he can't come up with a justification for it. Uh, Tillerson said he had been surprised when Trump publicly announced that he had reached a decision on Iran. Secretary told reporters on Wednesday that it would now take some time to prepare to implement the decisions that he doesn't know what they are. <laughs>
3: well, yeah, I guess that sort of follows. He
1: gave no hint as to the direction Trump would actually take. But he repeated the uh, president's longstanding position that the deal does not address troubling Uh, Non-nuclear behavior, despite the hopes of those who had negotiated it. Well, uh, it was never designed. The the deal with Iran was never designed to deal with non-nuclear issues. It only dealt with preventing Iran's path towards creating a, a nuclear weapon didn't deal with ballistic missiles or other such activities. Everyone knew that at the time that this deal was struck. The seven parties to this deal, Iran, U.S., China, Russia, France, U.K., and Germany, who all spent years putting this together. Tillerson spoke to reporters following a meeting of those parties uh, in New York The meeting highlighted, um, I'm sorry, marked the highest level U.S.-Iranian encounter since Donald Trump became president. European foreign policy chief Federica Mogherini, who hosted the meeting, said all parties to the accord, including Tillerson, agreed that, quote, it is working and is delivering for its purpose. So even the U.S. agrees that the deal is working. How can they pull out of it based on uh, everybody agreeing that the deal is working and everybody is uh, following the terms of this agreement? I don't know. And apparently neither does the secretary of state.
3: Yeah, clearly this is about finding some kind of pretext. I mean, that's that seems to be all it is so that because Trump has decided he's got to do it. So now he's going to do it regardless of the implications or the consequences. Throughout the world.
1: Tillerson did not dispute those comments uh, from uh, uh, the EU foreign policy chief Mogherini, uh, did not dispute her characterization, but said that while Iran might be meeting its obligations to the letter of the deal, it is violating it in spirit. That seems to be what he was actually uh, saying here, trying, I guess, to justify Trump's comments. Uh, Tillerson later conceded himself that reports from the U.N. nuclear watchdog, the IAEA, the International Atomic Energy Agency, quote, continue to confirm that Iran is in technical compliance with the agreement. That's a direct quote from Rex Tillerson. In her comments, Mogherini also alluded to North Korea, saying that uh, the international community cannot afford to dismantle an agreement that is working. Even if you you know take the idea that uh, uh, North Korea is being a dangerously belligerent, by the way, uh, just moments ago, Kim Jong-un is quoted as calling Trump deranged and says he will, quote, pay dearly for his threats. Even if you're concerned about uh, uh, the uh, North Korean leader's uh, language and their, uh, their program, uh, yes, I guess especially if you're concerned about North Korea's program, why would you want to sc- scotch this deal with Iran at this time when that is going on, not to mention all the hurricanes and the earthquakes and everything else that's going on? Mogherini declined to say whether Tillerson had pledged to remain committed to the deal, but said that the uh, EU is committed, in fact, to preserving it. The meeting in the U.N. Security Council chambers followed two days of increasingly hostile rhetoric between Trump and Iranian President Hassan Rouhani, uh, as well as Trump's surprise announcement about a decision on some decision on the nuclear deal. In response, Rouhani lashed out in uh, in response to Trump At, quote, ignorant, absurd and hateful rhetoric in Trump's U.N. speech uh, earlier in the week in which Trump called Iran a murderous regime, said we cannot abide by an agreement. This is a quote. We cannot abide by an agreement if it provides cover for the eventual construction of a nuclear program. But, of course, there is no evidence, absolutely no evidence, that that is Iran's uh, intention or that it's uh, you know, meant to provide any such cover, which uh, puts Trump and his Fox News-informed hatred of Iran, I guess, in, uh, in, a, in a bit of a pickle here. Addressing the General Assembly on Wednesday, Rouhani said his country won't be the first to violate the nuclear agreement, but it will respond decisively to its violation by any party. In a dismissive jab at Trump, he said that it will be a great pity if this agreement were to be destroyed by rogue newcomers to the world of politics. Wow. Uh, by violating its international commitments, he said the new administration only destroys its own credibility and undermines international confidence in, negotiate, in negotiating with it or accepting its word or promise. Uh, That echoes criticism even from some of America's allies right now, including uh, some that we've heard from France and and others regarding the, uh, the Paris Agreement, which, you know, this is all coming at a time when the U.S., uh, is, is hoping to in, in theory draw North Car- North Carolina, North Korea
3: <laughs> a little different. We
1: haven't gone yet to war with North Korea Co- Give them time with North <laughs> Car- Carolina. Uh, at a time that they're hoping to draw North Korea into negotiation over the uh, you know their nuclear arsenal. and frankly, at this point, looking at this, looking at how Donald Trump deals with agreements, whether it's Iran, whether it's the Paris Agreement, why would North Korea at this point take the U.S. at its word on anything? I mean, if it's willing to break the Iranian agreement, uh, even while the U.S. itself is saying that the, the Iran is, is completely following the terms of the agreement... Uh, they're watching Trump pull out of the Paris Climate Agreement that the entire world, including North Korea, if I recall, wasn't North Korea a party to the uh, Paris Climate Agreement?
3: You know, like, actually, I, I think they have. I, I think, think there are they only aren't. two countries that have not, uh, S- have now withdrawn, which is uh, Syria and the United States. Uh, right.
1: Actually, I don't know that Syria ever was in in the first no, place. No, they
3: weren't. But, so es- but essentially, yes. They're so not that's a party to
1: it. But so why would North Korea... Even be interested in coming to the table with this guy who breaks agreements left and right.
3: Why would anyone on any international agreement ever from here on out?
1: Uh, Rouhani said that Trump is seeking an excuse to pull out of the nuclear deal. It would be a waste of time for him to meet with the president while they're all in New York. he, He described his comments as, quote, extremely offensive Uh, And uh, his allegations as baseless. So this is exactly what Trump is accused uh, of of doing, by the way, in his own businesses, essentially breaking contracts, even when the parties to the contracts had done all the work that was expected. But he just decided, you know what, he didn't like that contract anymore. Uh, Or, you know, he just didn't want to uphold his end of the bargain for whatever reason. So how does he think that it will possibly help in future negotiations? With places like North Korea, for example, who is watching this behavior. Um, AP goes on to note that if the U.S. tries to activate globally enforceable sanctions on Iran again, European countries themselves are likely to balk. Uh, They won't join along. It may just be the U.S. and the U.S. alone uh, who is taking this action. And, well... Anyway, that's some of the mess ahead. Speaking of the mess ahead, the latest in iteration of the uh, zombie legislation, known uh, to to repeal and replace Obamacare, known as the Graham Cassidy bill, is going to be bad news for a whole bunch of people, including senior Americans. the uh, The American Association of Retired Persons, ARP or AARP, says that millions of seniors nationwide will see their health care premiums and out-of-pocket costs skyrocket if this bill becomes law. New report out today from ARP says the bill eliminates two sources of financial assistance, premium tax cuts and uh, cost-sharing reductions which is critical to ensuring that low to moderate income older adults are able to afford the coverage they need. For a 60-year-old, for example, earning $25,000 a year, Premiums and out-of-pocket costs could increase by as much as $16,000 a year if they wanted to keep their current coverage. Remember, they're only making $25,000 a year in this scenario.
3: Well, you know, food, it's optional.
1: The bill may also allow states to charge older adults 50 to 64 significantly higher premiums than under the current law on the basis of their age by waiving federal protections that limit the practice known as age rating, says uh, ARP. We estimate that this person, the 60 year old making $25,000 a year, could pay as much as $16,174 more by 2020 at the national level. But in some states, the total increase is significantly larger. For instance, a 60 year old Alaskan earning $25,000 could pay as much as $32,000 more to keep their current coverage. In Arizona, hello, Arizona who, reported, who uh, supported Donald Trump, uh, that same person in Arizona could pay as much as $22,000 more. The increase, they say, is simply unaffordable. Well, that's true. At the same time, a report released today by the Kaiser Family Foundation shows a sharp disparity in how Graham-Cassidy Obamacare repeal treats uh, the states that expanded Medicaid and those that did not. Overall, the report estimates states would see $160 billion less in federal health care funding over the next decade under the proposed law, with 35 states and uh, the District of Columbia losing federal dollars. But Medicaid expansion states would bear the heaviest burden by far. That would be, you know, the blue states. They would lose 11 percent of federal support on average Republican controlled states, on the other hand, that did not expand Medicaid. They would get an average increase of 12 percent under this bill. Um, But in fact, all of the states will be losers at one point. uh, This bill just stops funding any of this uh, Medicaid expansion as of 2027. It's a terrible bill. A lot of people seem to agree, yet the Republicans are still trying to get this thing passed and they're trying to get it passed quickly and they are willing to make some, let's call them unusual arguments in order to uh, in order to hoax people to support this bill. We're going to talk about that next with my guest, David Dayan of The Nation. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your broadcast. Bradcast. <laughs> Please stop by bradblog.com donate to support the work that Desi Doyen and I do every day. This country ain't going to save itself, but we can all do it together. That's bradblog.com donate. And thank you.
2: Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got to bad case for loving you. Actually...
1: Republicans got a bad case uh, to make for this uh, desperate attempt to pass Obamacare repeal and replace. Welcome back to the broadcast, Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. We have been talking a lot about hypocrisy this week for some crazy reason here on the broadcast, both political and corporate hypocrisy. And uh, my my next guest here may, may know hypocrisy, both political and corporate, better than anyone, uh, perhaps. Writing at The Nation this week, our friend David Dayan notes the worst thing about the Cassidy Graham Amendment. That's the bill that the Republicans are trying to get through at the last at the very last minute, really, here uh, before the end of the month in order to repeal and replace Obamacare before their option to do so with only 50 votes expires. Uh, the worst thing about that amendment, says Dayan, is Republicans 11th hour attempt Uh, To justify it and the fact that many millions of Americans will lose their coverage and see their premiums shoot up in the bargain if they get sick. But he says what is only slightly less horrible is the incomparably dishonest way that Senators Bill Cassidy and Lindsey Graham, the the two lead authors and co-sponsors of this bill, have been selling that proposal, which conflicts with a fundamental conservative tenet, namely that egalitarian policies punish success. He says this is what you always hear from the right whenever anyone suggests taxing the wealthy even a little bit more. They respond that all Americans have the same opportunities to obtain wealth, which he says, which Dayan says they don't, and that we should not punish those who manage to thrive. It's simply un-American to penalize those who put in hard work and play by the rules. That, however, is not the way this particular Republican health care bill seems to be structured or seems to be uh, argued by the senators who are in support of it. David Dayen says that that is exactly what this new last minute desperate push to repeal and replace Obamacare would do, would in fact penalize those who put in hard work and play by the rules, namely many of the blue states, the so-called blue states that are Democratic states that, uh, frankly, have seen huge signups in uh, in healthcare thanks to the Affordable Care Act and its expansion of Medicaid. Joining us now to explain all of this and explain the latest hypocrisy from the Republican Party in this case is our friend David Dayan. He's a financial journalist and contributing columnist at The Nation and The Intercept. He's a weekly columnist for The New Republic and The Fiscal Times. He's also the author of the. Critically acclaimed chain of title, how three ordinary Americans uncovered Wall Street's great foreclosure fraud and also the recently well-deserved winner of the Studs and Ida Turkle Prize. Hey, David Day, and welcome back to the broadcast, my friend. How are you? Oh, I'm okay. Uh, we were—I we, was actually. My brain has been somewhat in the United Nations this week. We were planning to talk about North Korea today, and uh, uh, our guest got his power got knocked out. Uh, in uh, he's not in Mexico or Puerto Rico, so there's that. But he was in Ohio, uh, and so at the last minute, I greatly appreciate you jumping in for us here to talk about your uh, your piece over at The Nation on the shocking dishonesty of the GOP's latest repeal push. So how does the new Graham-Cassidy-Heller-Johnson bill punish success as you see it? And then we can talk about how uh, how the Republicans have spent so much time arguing against that uh, idea of punishing success at all.
0: Yeah, you got it. First of all, happy to be the relief pitcher here uh, for you. <laughs> no problem.
1: Always a good one.
0: <laughs> um, I'll try to bring my fastball. So... Uh, Yes. So what is this? What is uh, what I'm talking about in that particular piece is the rhetorical strategy that's being used to sell Mm -hmm. this this latest effort to repeal and replace Obamacare. Uh, What we know that it does is it takes all of the funds that the U.S. government uh, uses for various elements of Obamacare, the the two big ones, Mm -hmm. the exchange subsidies Mm -hmm. and Medicaid expansion. And it puts them into what is called a block grant. And uh, so it takes that money, gives it to the state, say, hey, do what you want with it. Uh, Go go hog wild. If you want to run Obamacare, go ahead. If you want to keep the Medicaid expanded, go ahead. If you want to do something totally different, that's up to you. Uh, And the way that they're selling this, is they're saying, well, the problem is certain states get too much money from the government relative to other states when it comes to these particular facets of Obamacare. Mm -hmm. Lindsey Graham on the Senate floor uh, said, you know, uh, he pointed out four states, Massachusetts, Maryland, New York, and California. Interesting. We'll come back to what those states uh, all have in common Mm -hmm. in a second. But he said, I like those states, but I don't like them that much to give them the money that the rest of us should get. So uh, what is he really saying there? Well, he's saying that these four states were among those that expanded Medicaid. These four states are the ones that uh, opened their own websites. They're not using Mm -hmm. healthcare.gov, and they're the ones that aggressively targeted Low-income people, uh, people who were uninsured, and got them covered, and they put in these states, put in this hard work. And what Graham Cassidy is saying is that's not fair. They're saying uh, we, uh, all the states, should get the same amount of money. Suddenly, there are these wonderful egalitarians.
3: Mm-hmm. All
0: the states should get the same amount of money. The, the, the point is, is that every state had the opportunity to expand Medicaid. Every state had the opportunity to build a an exchange website and be very aggressive in marketing that website and make sure that all the uninsured in their population were covered. They are punishing success. They, they are they are pointing out mm-hmm. the states that did this well, that actually implemented Obamacare successfully, and saying that's not fair. You have to come down to the level of the rest of us, uh, and, uh, and, and, and that would be a, a better way to go about it.
1: So a lot of the money, a lot of the funding that went out to these states uh, is, is thanks to those states who decided, yeah, we'll go ahead and accept the expansion of Medicaid. So the states that he named, Massachusetts, Maryland, New York, and California, they all took that, that, that expanded Medicaid funding, Correct.
0: And, and these are all, of course, blue states. And mm-hmm. the way that this really works is that it equalizes, uh, by, in the name of equalizing, it takes money from blue states and gives that money to red states very specifically. Uh, it's the states that do well here are the states that don't, uh, that never expanded their Medicaid programs. Uh, they're going to get uh, more money coming in. The states that did expand their Medicaid programs are going to lose that money. Uh, That's that's rhetorically what they're talking about. Now, in actuality, every state's going to lose because the way this thing works, it creates a cliff where all the money for Medicaid expansion and Obamacare subsidies goes away in 2027. All of it. So after 2027, Graham-Cassidy creates repeal without replace. It just gets rid of the money. Uh, so, you know, everybody's eventually going to lose, but I was focusing in this piece mm-hmm. on the rhetorical strategy, uh, which is at odds with what Republicans have uh, preached throughout the past several decades right. that, You know, with regards to tax policy, that you can't punish someone who had the same opportunities and uh, did a good job and, and, and engaged in this hard work and now you're just engaging in a taking, uh, uh, because these people had the ingenuity and, and the, the uh, ability to prosper. And that's exactly what they're doing here. Uh, they're taking away from these states that uh, were, in, you know, all they mm-hmm. did was play by the rules and, and, and uh, implement uh, the Affordable Care Act, which is the law of the land, very
1: uh, successfully. So they uh, so there's obviously hypocrisy in the argument that they're making to try to sell this thing. They're they're being hypocritical to their own past uh, positions, but now yet today, uh, Alaska's Lisa Murkowski, uh, she may be the deciding vote. There's a few senators, few Republican senators, who are still holdouts here yeah. that the Republicans are trying to bring on board. And uh, we are now hearing about what is being described as the Alaska Purchase, apparently. uh, Do do you know what that agreement is supposed to entail?
0: Yes. There's uh, this little side note Mm -hmm. uh, buried in Graham-Cassidy that says states that have a particularly low density will get a higher payout of this allegedly egalitarian payout (laughs) where every state gets the same uh, under Graham-Cassidy. So every state gets the same, but these states that happen to have a low density, in other Uh words, low amount of people per square mile, uh, they will get more money. And uh, one of those states just happens to be Alaska, which is the key state in terms of getting uh, that last swing vote of Lisa Murkowski's that they need. So is this a payoff for Lisa Murkowski to try to buy her vote? Uh, it, I th- I think that's proven. I think yeah, it's pretty clear. It is. Yeah, there, there's. Uh, what other reason can you come up with that somehow Alaska gets more money under this plan?
1: And and not only is it a an attempt to buy her off. Okay, they're trying to do anything they can to get this thing through. This was somewhat uh, done with a number of states, as I recall, during the Affordable Care Act. There was the Cornhusker kickback. Yeah. As uh, as Fox News, I think uh, called it back during the Affordable Care Act to get that passed through Nebraska. Nonetheless, th- that seems the exact opposite of the claim uh, first that the GOP has been making about everything. This everything should be equal. This egalitarian argument, and now right. it seems to even go against their own argument regarding Graham Cassidy itself and the and and the justification for Graham Cassidy.
0: Absolutely, uh, it's you know. <laughs> There, the, the claim is that every poor citizen should have the same opportunity in health care, but Alaska citizens should have more opportunity, apparently, uh, apparently. because now, we need that vote.
1: And then on top of that, uh, David Dayen, uh, as it is, don't so-called blue states, Democratic uh, states, already give more money overall to the federal coffers than uh, Republican, than yeah, red it, states?
0: They absolutely do, and I mentioned this in the piece, that uh, Republican states are far more dependent. A much larger share of their uh, state budgets uh, come from federal funding uh, in, in, you know, southern Mm -hmm. states or or states that traditionally vote Mm -hmm. uh, with the Republican Party in national elections uh, relative to the blue states. So, uh, yes, that's absolutely the case. Um, somehow there's this idea that these states that were competent in, in the Affordable Care Act are getting a better deal, uh, but the truth of the matter is, is that those states have gotten a raw deal with respect to uh, federal government dollars for a long, long time. And, uh, you know, if you want to pick and choose one program where uh, they're, they're being more successful, uh and, and and throwing away the others, it just seems like uh, uh you know, once again just pile on the hypocrisy
1: here. The uh if this bill doesn't do any of the things that Republicans have been complaining about when it comes to the Affordable Care Act as far as you know it doesn't do that you heard them they talking for years oh we need to do away with state lines so you can sell policies across the border Trump promised that everybody was going to be covered and for cheap for you know for less money <laughs> it seems to do absolutely none of those things uh, that even the Republicans I guess pretended they cared about when it comes to health care so if that's the case, uh, and frankly, if they are likely to pay a price from their own voters for it eventually, because a lot of, as as you note, you know, the money is going to be cut off across the board as of uh, what 2027 yep. uh, for for the Medicaid expansion, uh, and a lot of their uh, th- their own Republican voters are going to be hit here, even on the exchanges. So if if all of this is nonsense and BS. What's the real reason that they are so desperate to do this? Clearly they're desperate because they've only got another uh, a week or so here before the Senate rules change and they won't be able to pass this bill without uh, 60, you know, 60 votes. Uh, right now they can avoid a filibuster. What right. is this all about, David Dayan? What's the bottom line? Why are they trying to do this even though it may hurt them?
0: They're trying to do this because they want to repeal Obamacare and the details of how that goes about do not matter i mean republican senators have said this very explicitly chuck grassley on a phone call with reporters said i could probably come up with ten reasons why this is a terrible bill but we ran on repealing obamacare and this is the last chance we have i mean, that's literally the argument now it's uh, they have built up this idea of repealing obamacare so completely that the policy itself is subordinate to the idea of repealing Obamacare. So anything that, and especially now because there's this time limit that right. you just referred to, by September 30th, something, uh, some train has to leave the station. Uh, that is what's propelling this effort on the part of uh, Republicans to get on board.
1: That's propelling uh, them publicly, but yeah. behind the scenes. How much of this has to do with, look, the next thing that they uh, you know, plan to do, the big thing that they hope to do, is tax cuts, is big tax cuts. How much of this has to do with decreasing, right now, federal, uh, federal, federal spending? Federal yeah, spending, absolutely. So that,
0: yeah. I mean, uh, this, this bill, first of all, it, it not only cuts these, uh, uh, the, the various layers mm-hmm. of public federal support for health care, uh, and it's not just the Medicaid expansion, and it's not just the uh, subsidies on the exchanges. It's Medicaid itself, which it changes, and it does this thing called a per capita cap, which is a ratchet downward mm-hmm. over time. Anytime you even just put something into a block grant, it's a set amount of money. Uh, you know, if we have a recession, all of a sudden you have more people who need public support, and the Medicaid rolls usually go up. And under current law, uh, that money gets spent. Mm -hmm. Under a block grant program, you get a fixed amount of money. There's no other money that goes in to, you know, Mm -hmm. have any flexibility, whether uh, there are more people or less people on the Medicare, Medicaid rolls. So, So, uh, you know, this is all about cutting federal support for the types of people who get help under these, healthcare programs and that's the poor uh and 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 the lower middle class the working class. Uh and yes, the, you can see this entire thing as as an elaborate wealth transfer from those uh classes to the rich who are going to get their huge tax cuts in the next initiative that that Republicans want to complete. So yes, uh the 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 whole the 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 rhetorical stuff that i'm highlighting and mm-hmm. calling out is really a mask for ratcheting down uh public support for poor people uh so that they can give tax cuts to rich people
1: and not just support i mean i think and this may maybe this is just me but I, you know i think this has to do actually with math if they can if they can lower uh, federal expenditures by whatever amount—two hundred billion, three hundred, four hundred, eight hundred—whatever they're talking about in this bill, doesn't that then affect the uh, the tax cut bill that they have a, uh, essentially a different well, baseline to start with? It uh, does,
0: if you think they care about the deficit. I mean,
1: uh, I, I don't think they care about the deficit, but I think that they well, they pretend obviously to care about right. the deficit and the debt and so forth. But you know, if if they have been pretending to care about the deficit for all of these years, and then they go out with a bill, a, a, a tax cut bill that cuts a, a huge amount of money and increases the deficit. Well, anything that they can uh, any cost that they can lower here with uh, with the health care bill it, you know, if they can save $800 billion here, that means there's $800 billion more in, uh, in tax cuts that they can give away without right. getting in trouble for in, it.
0: In a, in a, rhetorically speaking. Yes, it's it's about getting in trouble, what you just said there. Mm -hmm. I mean, Senate Republicans have agreed upon a framework for tax cuts, which would be a $1.5 trillion uh, net loss in revenue over the next 10 years. Uh, And maybe they don't want to, uh, you know, bear the various pundits' uh, uh, columns about how they're being fiscally irresponsible. So they say, oh, but we're getting rid of, mm-hmm. you know, $800 billion in the Medicaid program and everything equals out. Uh, that's certainly possible. Uh, that, that, that could be sort of the long-game thinking. I really do think that in the short term, the thinking is we have to repeal Obamacare. And, uh, by the way, this, yeah. this thing would still have to pass the House and this might actually be a weird circumstance where this is harder to do in the house of representatives and the reason why is there are several house members that come from new york and california Mm -hmm. uh... and those members of congress who are going to be in tough elections next year want no part of a bill that's going to cut their state uh, health care share of federal dollars by tens of billions of dollars. Yeah, they'll they'll do it. They'll do it. I mean, you they'll got... do it, and they'll lose their job. Well, I mean, I, maybe they would have done it in January of this year, but uh, you know, closer to the election, when that is going to be a major issue, uh, that, that that's going to be a difficult vote for a lot of these people to take. And in fact, we've even seen several New York uh, representatives, uh, ex- uh, Republicans uh, on the House side, express. Uh, severe trepidation.
1: Yeah, sure, sure. I'll believe it when I see it. <laughs> they can they can afford to lose something. Like, what twenty three or twenty four uh, uh, votes in the House? I mean, you got Bill Cassidy for Christ's sake. He's going to lose from Louisiana, the senator from Louisiana that's, who wrote this bill. Truth. I mean, he's going to lose uh, for Louisiana something like nine billion dollars yes. in this thing. Because he doesn't seem to care. Has he
0: uh, expanded Medicaid. What's so, that? Uh, this this guy is his own state. And, and because it's his own state that is suffering here, uh, that has to make me believe that the conservative base has been screaming to repeal Obamacare for the last seven years. Yeah. And if Republicans go through September 30th without even trying to get that done, uh, the, the, the the base is going to be uh, in, in in turmoil. <laughs> I... And so a lot of this has to do with just something we can say we repealed Obamacare.
1: You know what, and I think uh, this may be one of the the very few cases you will ever find, David Dayan, where I am more cynical than even you. (laughs) I I, I think uh, it's not so much about Obamacare, I think that's a big part of it, but I really do think it is about the tax cuts trying to figure out how they can possibly justify all that they hope uh, to 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 cut when it comes to taxes, but tax
0: cuts are magic, and they yeah. don't cost anything to the budget. They 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 create their own economic uh, support in and of themselves. <laughs> yes, tax cuts increase revenue. Don't you know the, <laughs> the conservative doctrine on that?
1: That's what they tell us. So it must be true. Uh, they always tell the truth uh, in Congress, and particularly the Republicans these days. David Dayan, really appreciate you jumping on with us today to uh, explain this. I'll point folks over to your uh, coverage at The Nation, the shocking dishonesty of the GOP's latest repeal push. Not all that shocking, I guess. Uh, you can also find his work uh, all over the place, but uh, centralized at daviddayen.tumblr.com and, of course, on the Twitters at d day and oh yeah and go out and buy his book chain of title how three ordinary americans uncovered wall street's great foreclosure fraud find out what really happened uh when uh, when when the housing industry and uh, wall street tanked the world economy david
0: paperback november
1: 7th paperback on november 7th perfect timing for christmas just saying hey david really appreciate you jumping in and joining us here today All right, thanks a lot. Thank you. Okay, quick break, and we are back with our Green News Report with Desi Doyen. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast.
3: And thanks.
1: Welcome back to the Bradcast. Boy, uh, Desi Doyen, as busy as this week Several weeks, months uh, have been. I can only imagine how busy it has been for you trying to keep up with all of these hurricanes and disasters around the world.
3: Yeah, it's been uh, it's been a really insane month, I should say, because Hurricane Harvey was about a month ago.
1: Was it? Yeah. Seems like it was just yesterday. Hurricane Harvey, Irma, now Maria, uh, now these earthquakes in Mexico. Well, let's uh, let's get to it. Uh, Our latest Green News Report.
0: Some areas could be without power for four to six months.
3: Hurricane Maria devastates Puerto Rico. The nation's president warned every minute counts to save lives. Hundreds dead in second Mexico earthquake in two weeks. California cities sue the fossil fuel industry for climate change damages, plus...
1: We must move forward, we must continue advancing, because climate change is not stopping.
3: French President Emmanuel Macron takes the lead, rallying the United Nations on climate action.
1: All of those rallies and more straight ahead from bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And
3: I'm Desi Doyen.
1: Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment
2: i've never seen winds like this in puerto rico you take a look at what's happening there and uh it's just one after another i know
1: who could have predicted it mr president this is your green news report I'm
3: gonna soak up the
1: sun. okay dizzy Doyan, the deadly hurricane season Continues to continue.
3: Yes, it does. In the Caribbean, Hurricane Maria made a direct hit on Puerto Rico as a powerful Category 4 on Wednesday, the strongest storm to hit the U.S. island territory since 1932.
1: And the third strongest storm to ever hit the U.S.
3: It caused extensive flooding and knocked out power to 100% of the island's electric grid. The mayor of San Juan said infrastructure and electrical grid repairs could take four to six months. Puerto Rico is already grappling with a deep financial crisis and faces more than a billion dollars in damages from Hurricane Irma alone. The economies of all of these Caribbean island nations hit by Irma and Maria are reliant on tourism and full recovery will take years. Well,
1: no worries. I'm sure the Republicans in Congress will be happy to send disaster aid to the U.S. territory of Puerto Rico.
3: The Washington Post reports that 2017 has already had more than a year's worth of named storms based on the long term average, and we are only midway through hurricane season. Mm. What's remarkable about the Atlantic hurricanes of 2017 is both their intensity and how rapidly they're intensifying, getting really bad really fast. According to the acting deputy director of the National Hurricane Center, 2017 has seen more frequent rapid intensification events than usual. Hurricane Maria may also also have set a record for rapid intensification for an Atlantic storm. Meanwhile, a second powerful earthquake in two weeks rocked central Mexico as a 7.1. That followed an even larger 8.1 quake that hit the nation's west coast... Tuesday's earthquake has killed more than 200 people, mostly in collapsed buildings, with the death toll expected to rise. Now, there's a common thread here in the impact of these disasters, and that's why we focus on infrastructure and building codes, because building codes and well-designed resilient infrastructure can mark the difference between life and death, both during and in the dangerous aftermath of a disaster. Both play a crucial role in every community's ability to recover from future disasters, including the Accelerating impacts of climate change.
1: This latest earthquake hit on the 32nd anniversary of the 1985 earthquake that killed some 10,000 people in Mexico City. And while the death toll for this latest one is expected to rise to as many as 1,000, it could be the building codes that have changed since 1985. That ended up saving a lot of lives.
3: And not speaking of climate change was U.S. President Donald Trump. In his first ever address to the United Nations General Assembly this week in New York, Trump had plenty to say about rogue nations that put the rest of the world at risk, mm. but nothing about the growing threat of climate change. However, French President Emmanuel Macron, in his first address to the United Nations, subtly criticized Trump's decision to withdraw the U.S. from the Paris Climate Agreement. He said that. Voluntary agreement is not negotiable.
1: Humankind must defend itself
2: by protecting itself. That agreement is not up for renegotiation. We will not backtrack. We will continue to implement the Paris
3: Agreement. Macron is allocating 5 billion euros for climate action in France, and he called on cities and states around the world to do their part in transitioning away from fossil fuels. To that end, California Governor Jerry Brown at the Climate Week side conference in New York announced that the U.S. Climate Alliance, a coalition of 15 states, including New York and California, is on track to cut their carbon emissions 25 percent by 2025. Brown encouraged other nations to hold fast, to their commitments, saying, quote, Other countries ought to listen. The U.S. is in, all the way, on the Paris Accord.
1: Just not our president, but let's not
0: mention that.
3: Finally, on Wednesday, San Francisco and Oakland, California, became the first major U.S. cities to sue the fossil fuel industry over climate change. Their suit alleges that oil, gas, and coal producers not only caused the greenhouse gas emissions driving rising sea levels, but did so knowingly. And it seeks to hold the industry a Accountable for billions of dollars in property damages caused by rising seas now and in the future from flooding and coastal erosion.
1: We sure are counting on the judiciary to save this country and this world a whole lot of late, aren't we?
3: I'll take what we can get.
1: Indeed. For much more on all of those stories and many that we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And
3: I'm Desi Doyen. And
1: this has been your Green News Report. The
3: morning- the closer I get,
2: you're wasting your
1: time. Now, hmm. yeah, let's just keep ignoring things. They'll go away. Let's just completely ignore climate change. What could possibly go wrong? The, um, we're, we're only now beginning to get more information out of the tiny island nation of Dominica. Which was uh, the, the one that was first slammed by Category Five? It was Category Five when it came across. Uh, yes. c- when Hurricane Maria came ashore there. Yes, the, uh, there, the right? first
3: one in recorded history in Dominic- D- Dominica's uh, recorded history. Right.
1: Uh, the Prime Minister of Dominica says that there are 15 dead and 20 missing on that small island nation uh, after Hurricane Maria blew through. Uh, still waiting to get more information out of Puerto Rico, but uh, the death total. In uh, in Mexico, has as of airtime here climbed to 273 dead.
3: Mm, that's that's sad.
1: And as noted, I think it uh, it's going to continue to climb for for quite a while. But in fact, yeah, those as high as that is those building codes since the 1985 quake. May have made a bit of a difference. Oh, and I think they— to be
3: honest, I think they made a huge difference. Uh, I've done a lot more research on that since the uh, Mm -hmm. the second earthquake and. You know what the earthquake experts say is every earthquake is different. It is in a different location, at a different depth, at a di- it will affect different areas differently. So some of the buildings that did great during the 1985 earthquake did not do so well mm. during this earthquake, and that just has to deal with you know those specific individual circumstances with each individual right. earthquake. However, they did do a huge a huge building boom with their building codes, and they did reinforce many many buildings, and I think that that was a crucial factor in keeping the death toll at least where it is right now. Hopefully, it doesn't get much worse than because, that. But there, but yeah. I should say there are other villages and uh, towns that were farther outside that they're just getting word from that were also affected. So we'll see what the final ultimate report ends up being.
1: Well, the reason I think I had mentioned uh, in the Green News report there are 10,000 dead. In fact, nobody knows what the death toll is from that original, from that 1985 quake that was so bad. Uh, some put it uh, much higher—twenty or thirty thousand dead.
3: So many people uh, were never found, recorded as missing, and they yeah. don't know what happened.
1: And so, as bad as this is, it, I, you know, could have been a hell of a lot worse, but for the improved building codes. And the reason I'm mentioning that is because that is exactly what Donald Trump has waived in this country, the building codes when it comes to, uh, you know, preparing for climate change, for flooding and so forth.
3: Yes, uh, he's done a great job as far as trying (laughs) to relax Obama-era regulations that were passed just a few years ago uh, to to make sure that any buildings uh, that are residential buildings, any infrastructure that receives federal money, both of those were supposed to account for future sea level rise to help mitigate the future impacts that we are expected to see.
1: But, you know, if you don't believe in that, so Sort of thing. If you think that thing is a, a hoax by the Chinese, then none of it matters. Then you don't have to build up to this code. Uh, I think uh, recent weeks have, have proven that is not the case, and that we really, really need to pay attention to infrastructure. Very true. Not very sexy, but very important. And yes, saves lives uh, at, at very important times. All right, got to get out. My thanks to Desi Doyen. Thank you very much, our producer here. My thanks also to David Dayan of The Nation and The Intercept and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It is as always greatly appreciated. If you missed any portion of today's show or any other, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com or at your favorite uh, podcast site like iTunes. Hope you'll Leave a good comment wherever it is that you're uh, that you grab the Bradcast, let everyone else know, make it a little easier for everyone else to find it. Uh, you can drop me email as well. I'm Bradcast at Bradblog.com, and on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am the BradBlog. My thanks as ever to all of you who stopped by Bradblog.com slash donate. To help us continue to do what we try to do every day over your public airwaves. All right, until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.